0: doesn't matter your age or where you live or what you were doing last week, it's likely, highly likely, you've been swept up in the coverage of the Queen's death and the new era of King Charles III. So in this episode of Squish Shortcuts, we try to cut through the noise and give you a good background to what's gone on the past week and what might happen going forward. We have a good look at the type of ruler that King Charles might be and the very future of the monarchy here in Australia. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Global reaction to the Queen's death, Claire, is something we might never see again in our lifetime. It's really confirmed that we've lost one of the most significant figures of the last century.
1: Yeah, and the breadth and depth of the tributes really has been something. Mm. Malcolm Turnbull, our former Prime Minister, is one of our most staunchly Republican former Prime Ministers and he was moved to tears about her death. He said that we are all Elizabethans. Uh, The US President, Joe Biden, said that she defined an era and the Indian Prime Minister, Narendra Modi, called the Queen the stalwart
0: of our times. The life that the Queen lived is all the more extraordinary, I guess, because it was never meant to be her. Yeah,
1: that's right. She was the eldest daughter of King George the II's son. So basically the equivalent of Archie, mm-hmm. who's Prince Harry's son. Uh, so when George died in the 1930s, it was meant to be King Edward, who was the eldest son, but he decided to give up the throne after less than a year uh, to marry American Wallace Simpson. Uh, the church wouldn't let a monarch marry a woman who had been twice divorced. Uh, and that's when Elizabeth's dad became king. uh, And from that
0: moment, she was the heir apparent. Yeah, I guess many listening will have seen The Crown or they'll know this history, but it's still worth recapping. Even if you're not a royal family fan, what we're seeing in the outpouring since her death is just a huge appreciation of her public service, her sense of duty and sacrifice.
1: And look, in her lifetime, the Queen has conceivably shaken hundreds of thousands of hands and mm. seen in the flesh by millions and millions of people. She's been the patron of hundreds of charities, uh, a counsellor to 15 British prime ministers, and pretty remarkably,
0: the UK's chief diplomat over seven decades. Yeah, 70 years. The Queen was also head of the Commonwealth. We've heard a few leaders questioning whether there would even still be a Commonwealth without her. Yeah, that's right. Uh, To Australians, the
1: Commonwealth is probably best symbolised by the Commonwealth Games, but it's actually made up of 56 countries, but only 15 of those, including Canada, New Zealand and Australia, actually still have the Queen as head of state. Mm. So it's an extraordinary feat when you think of it, um, that the Queen kept together what she has called a family of nations uh, through Africa, the Pacific and Asia, long after many of them formally cut ties with the monarchy.
0: Yeah, one of the most extraordinary stories I've heard about the Queen's diplomatic power was in 1961. She was dispatched by the UK's Prime Minister to visit Ghana when it was feared to be falling under Soviet influence. This is quite the story. Yeah, she
1: was pictured dancing with the Garnon president. Uh, At the time, there was still racial segregation in the United States. So it was an enormously powerful image projected around the world and it demonstrated the Queen's conviction
0: that the Commonwealth was a group of equals. There was a few other things the Queen was well-known for. It's really hard to cover them all, but we're going to call out one diplomatic weapon that she had, and that was fashion.
1: <laughs> yeah, she certainly wasn't a slave to trends, but she really did know how to make a statement. Uh, her consistency of dress, the handbag, the brooches, mm. the hat, uh, often one bold colour and combining two for colour blocking, uh, everyone knew that was the Queen. And strategic dressing too from her work wedding gown which was embroidered with symbols of the Commonwealth to her state visits all very
0: carefully crafted with fashion nods to the host country. One of my recommendations Claire when we get to the end of this podcast will be the fact that her handbags and where they were placed were sending symbols to her <laughs> aides. That's quite the thing. She's one tough act to follow so just how is King Charles III as he will be known shaping up to fill those shoes? Let's get into that now. Pretty hard to imagine, Claire waiting in the wings for a job for 70 years. That's been King Charles's lot in life. <laughs> yeah,
1: one of the hard facts of hereditary succession uh, is your own fate is determined by the lifespan of your parent. Uh, so as heir to the throne, Charles never really knew when his time would come, but his mother's robust good health <laughs> uh, has made him the oldest sovereign to come to the throne at 73
0: years of age. Yeah, he's waited a long time. His whole life has really been lived out in the public gaze, including literally, I think, nearly all the details of his (laughs) private life. Claire, the fascination with his marriage to Princess Diana, his relationship with Camilla, now Queen Consort.
1: Yeah, I sure know more about his love life than I'd probably really like to. As we all do. Uh, (laughs) He was having an affair with Camilla while married to Diana and some phone recordings of them talking, uh, let's just say rather intimately, Mm -hmm. uh, were published by the British press back in the 1990s. And, of course, Diana gave that TV
0: interview where she famously said that there were three of us in this marriage. Yeah, one of the most famous quotes of all time, I'd say. For quite a while, Charles was pretty unpopular in Britain and so was Camilla. They've been married now for 17 years and it's really been a gradual repair of their public image over that time. And let's be
1: frank, Charles has always been a bit kooky. Uh, If you watch The Crown, you'd have seen him portrayed as that sensitive child who loved art and architecture and nature, uh, but was basically told to toughen up by his father, Prince Philip. And that series shows him really suffering at boarding school in Scotland. And it's hard not to feel
0: at least a little bit sorry for him. We should mention that The Crown is not fact, according to the (laughs) royals, but does seem to give some good insights into what may have perhaps gone on. It's interesting the things that some people used to mock, like his love of organic farming and the fact that some of his cars run on wine. He's now being praised as a man ahead of his time, Claire, a passionate environmentalist before it was cool. Our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has said he hopes King Charles continues to be outspoken on climate change.
1: Yeah, and this really will be the thing to watch about the new King Charles. Uh, Some think that it's inappropriate and dangerous for a monarch to have a political voice. Our opposition leader, Peter Dutton, said that Charles will need to put those things and his views to one side. But Albanese says the challenge of climate change shouldn't be seen as a political issue, but rather a question of our very survival as a world.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a change because the Queen, of course, was infamously apolitical. The new Prince of Wales, Prince William, is carrying on championing those environmental causes. Yeah, he launched the Earthshot Prize with Sir David
1: Attenborough a couple of years ago. And that's all about inspiring big innovations to help save the
0: planet. There's no doubt King Charles and maybe one day King William, they're going to have to navigate some pretty thorny issues and no more so than the very future of the monarchy. Let's look at how that's looking, particularly here in Australia now. Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzes how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP, and if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Our Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, has made it clear that now is not the time to revisit the Republic debate in Australia. He's ruled out a referendum on that issue in his first term of office, but it's something that's not going away, Claire. No, it's not. Uh, Remember, even
1: before the Queen died, Albanese said that as far as constitutional change goes, his first priority was to get an Indigenous voice to Parliament up. Uh, But he's not trying to hide the fact that it's Labor's policy to have an Australian head of state.
0: Uh, It's just that it won't be in the next few years. Having said that, he has appointed an assistant minister for a republic. So it is something that is looking like it's on Albanese's agenda. To cast back, the last time Australians voted on a republic was back in 1999. It was a pretty resounding no. The ACT was the only state or territory clear with the majority yes vote, so I guess the Prime Minister is recognising that Australia does have an affection for the monarchy.
1: Yeah, and you can assume that if Labor is still in power and wants to pursue it next term, uh, they won't be proceeding unless they can
0: really be sure that they think that the national mood is on their side. Yeah, that's right. We're not the only one talking about this. A lot of Commonwealth countries are having the same conversation. One thing is sure, by the end of King Charles' reign, whether it be short or whether it be
1: long, there will be fewer countries with the king as a head of state. Uh, Charles was actually in Barbados last year when it became a republic and other countries in the Caribbean are lining up to follow suit.
0: Yeah, that's really the part of the world where they're dropping like flies, as they say. (laughs) Claire, Prince William and Kate got a pretty mixed reception in Jamaica, in Belize and the Bahamas earlier in the year. They had to acknowledge the history of slavery and atrocities committed under British rule there.
1: Yeah, and while those countries are beginning the process of cutting ties, uh, Canada and New Zealand, like Australia, appear to be in no great rush. Justin Trudeau, who is Canada's Prime Minister, praised Elizabeth in some of the most effusive terms from a world leader. Uh, Also, Jacinda Ardern, New Zealand's Prime Minister, said that she expected that New Zealand's relationship with the UK will only deepen under King Charles.
0: This isn't a new thing. Even under the Queen, there was quiet acknowledgement that change was probably inevitable and it was just a matter of time before a lot of countries moved to having their own
1: head of state. Yeah, that's right. And remember, we've talked about how most countries in the Commonwealth actually cut formal ties with Britain decades ago. Mm. Uh, So as more do that, Charles and William will likely try to follow the Queen's example, uh, which is trying to keep that group of nations loosely aligned uh, so that the UK can still wield that incredible diplomatic soft power.
0: So if they have anything to say about it, the Commonwealth Games will continue for a very long time. (laughs) We actually happened to do a squeeze shortcut, Claire, just changing tack slightly a few weeks ago on how Australia is governed. The system of constitutional monarchy is still hugely important to the UK and around the world. So the system itself.
1: Yeah, we did that, of course, when former
0: Prime Minister Scott Morrison
1: was found to have multiple ministries and we needed to unpack <laughs> how that all worked. but What yeah. that meant. <laughs> but yeah, the British monarchy is known as a constitutional monarchy. And while the Queen and now the King is head of state, they don't make the laws. That's the job of an elected parliament. And in Australia, we have the same system. It's just that those powers of the sovereign are vested in the governor general.
0: Governor-General David Hurley has been out and about, obviously, a lot across the last week. That role is pretty much ceremonial. There are important functions like swearing in of ministers, as we learnt when we did that shortcut on Scott Morrison's multiple ministries. Yep. Signing off on laws and opening and dissolving parliament all of those functions are with the Governor-General or what we like to call here in Australia, the GG. (laughs) The GG, that's right. (laughs) And
1: one of the big points of the No campaign in that Republic referendum back in 99 was about the success of the system of the constitutional monarchy. Uh, The fact that the role has evolved over a 1,000 years of history and by inheriting that system it gave our country a sense of stability and continuity.
0: Yeah, a lot of people will argue that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. What it's raised for me, Claire, is a fair few questions about the for and against of becoming a republic or the for and against of staying with a constitutional monarchy. There's a shortcut in the very near future, I'd say, about that. But before we finish, how do they feel in the UK? Well, it seems since the Queen has died that
1: while Charles has never been really super popular, there's an enormous respect for the
0: institution Mm. uh, and how much it contributes to Britain's national identity and pride. And we'll see that continue over the coming weeks, over the coming months. We've got the King's coronation. That'll be another huge event in the months to come. And plenty more conversations about the role of the royals in Britain. That's your shortcut, though, for now, to the Queen and the King. On to our recommendations. Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. I don't know. There's so much that we could recommend this week, Claire. It's a bit ridiculous. <laughs> there's a link to a UK Vogue tribute to some of the Queen's most iconic outfits, that's well worth a look. And as I said, I've also got a link uh, to a TikTok video, which shows how the Queen uses her handbag to indicate to her aides whether a meeting is going well, whether she'd like to be moved along. Apparently, there was a whole traffic light system going on.
1: (laughs) Well, when you've only got a few tools available to you, you've got to be pretty creative, I'd imagine. Um, If I had my sort of 100% say I'd probably pick an article about corgis and the Queen's love of her corgis as she called them their oversized potatoes and I grew up with corgis so I totally get that (laughs) Uh, but what I've got is a really lovely read from Tony Wright who writes for The Age Uh, it's an article that he's penned on Camilla
0: the new Queen consort and it's just some really interesting background. Yeah there's plenty 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 to read watch listen to in regards to the Queen and everything that will come off the back of this. As I said, there's more Queen Squiz shortcuts in our future I'm sure. In the meantime, if you'd like a shortcut on anything else, let us know. Until next week.